is Along the Boards on ESPN Pittsburgh. Oh, stretch high back with a hacksaw. Along the Boards is brought to you by California University. One decision, endless possibilities. 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. By Schneider Downs, big thinking, personal focus. By DB Root, independent big picture advice for high net worth investors and qualified retirement plans. And by Bud Light, famous among friends. Now here's your host, Phil Bork and Adam Crowley. It's along the boards on ESPN Pittsburgh. He is Phil Bork. I'm Adam Crowley. That's what the guy on the radio just said. Borky, the old two-niner here from the Carson City Saloon. It's puck season, baby. It is puck season. Thank God. Thank the good Lord above that we finally have been able to drop the puck, get some good fashion hockey talk going along the boards. Hey, we got a new sponsor. DB Root, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, because they only handle high net worth clients. So, <laughs> thank you, DB Root, for being on board here. Because my boy, I mean, look at look at the hundreds falling out of your pocket. I know, all what? over the place. Are you a trust fund baby? What are you, huh? I may have been at the strip club on the way to the okay, establishment I'll, tonight. I'll, that's TMI. More than likely, what happened know. there? Come on, let's get some hockey. Talk Those are just going. singles go, there. You didn't know I was going to take it in that direction, did okay. you? Did the singles were they? Were you giving or receiving the singles? Oh, I'm dumb. I did it to myself is what happened there. So you were trying to save me. Yeah. See, we'll develop the chemistry as the year goes on. Awkward opening. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, not an awkward opening for the Penguins as they win 7-6, to six, although there's a lot of things to clean up, as Boy, Mike Sullivan would say. We could do a whole show on that. We could. I overlook it because I wanted to be entertained. It's game one. But Mike Sullivan is right. Sidney Crosby is right when he says after the game, that's not a way to sustain success in the National yeah. Hockey League. No, easy for you to say. Uh, and exactly right. It, it was fun. I mean, you have that many goals, 13 goals. You got the overtime winner. Uh, goals are going in in bunches. Um, a crazy game. So, uh, you know, it's tough to reflect. And it actually, I, I, I didn't have a great opinion of the game in the postgame show, so I kind of needed... I needed to kind of marinate overnight, if you will, Adam. I mean, when I woke up today, there was a lot more good than bad. The bad was pretty ugly. The turnovers, the uh, the missed assignments, um, the missed saves. Uh, it was all there in front of us, but I just thought for the most part the Penguins played like the Penguins. The power play was humming. The power play was a difference maker when it came to overtime, and you needed that goal, right, that we were able to – sit here during the show and, and talk about how that power play uh, just seems to have carried over, almost seamlessly carried over from their franchise record 26.2% last year. Uh, I like what I saw from Dominic Simon. I like what I saw from Jack Johnson. I thought the lines looked good, except the fourth line, which is a concern for me. We can get into that if you want a little bit with uh, Daniel Sprong playing with uh, Riley Shahan and the KG veteran Matt Collins. So there, there's a lot more good than bad, but the bad needs to be addressed very quickly. And uh, you cannot take the Montreal Canadiens lightly, who we will see at the PPG Paints Arena tomorrow night. Does anybody sort of encompass everything that you just said better than Chris Letang? Yeah. So much good, so much yeah. bad. First period I thought was rough yeah. for him. And those boards, we got to talk about that, Forky. Uh, they're a little, little bouncy at the PPG Paints Arena, no? Uh, but I thought in the early going, Chris Letang wasn't great. And then as the yeah. game wore on, I thought he was one of the better players. No, he's a minus two after the first period. And there were some gaps, to say the least. Um, and he just looked at times, he looked lost in his defensive zone. But, you know, Mike, Mike Sullivan mentioned this when he was asking about Tanger after practice today. 
Uh, and the last thing he said was, I like the way he stuck to it. And that, that's true because some players will be rattled by that and they would just continue to be like a uh, ball of thread that would continue to unravel. But Tango was able to reel it back in, um, not only score a big goal and then uh, set up Gino with an absolute beautiful one-touch pass, but more importantly, just to let that Howitzer one-timer go in overtime that I uh, hope he didn't know where it was till he heard it just whiz by his ear and tickled the twine. Uh, but he's... You know, this is the thing with Tanger, and this is how I've said this before, and maybe you've heard me say this before. In my 15 years of broadcasting as a, as a hockey analyst, I've been more critical of Chris Letang than any other player. It's not even close, Adam, because I know how good he can be. So when I see him have first periods like that, I, I'm almost taking my fist and I'm punching myself in the face going, what the holy Moses is going on here? Why isn't this kid putting 60 minutes together? Why are we only getting 40 or 38 or or why can't he could have put a complete game together and get these mistakes out of his game and get these moments where you feel like he's going to get injured because he's physical at the wrong time, whether it's throwing a check or delivering a check. There's still, this, it's still, it's a great piece of clay. I think they're still trying to mold it, but man, he, second period, third period overtime, Tanger was playing like a Norris Trophy defenseman. And he ties Paul Coffey in points uh, in a Pittsburgh Penguin sweater for a defenseman. 440 and 331 career games for Paul Coffey. That's insane. I mean, you could talk about the different eras, but 331 games for Paul Coffey as a Pittsburgh Penguin. He puts yeah. up 440 points. Yeah. Well, he, he had this guy. I don't know if you heard of him. Uh, he wore this um, uh, upside-down 99th. He had this guy, Mario Lemieux, who he had some chemistry with. It's his birthday today. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't cease. Yes. Yes, happy birthday to Mario. And uh, also... Um, Penguins Vice President Tom McMillan ah. shares the birthday with him also. So get that out of the way. Uh, we're not supposed to be that nice on the show, are we? Yeah, but we are supposed to be to the boss, aren't we? Yeah, but um, Paul Coffey was so special when he came here that uh, I just remember the first time he came down the right side and rode the edges and just blew by guys that this almost a collective... <gasps> You know, in the stands, it's like, oh, we've never seen a player like this. And I remember sitting on the bench looking at my teammates going, holy moly, what the, what is this? And you just were kind of giddy. You just kind of laughed a little bit. And uh, he did. He had a special chemistry with Mario and the way he could run a power play and the passes he could make and the timely goals. He wasn't here for a long time, but absolutely a good time. So it speaks well of Chris Letang to be able to tie that mark. It's taken him some time compared to what Paul Coffey Almost twice did. as many games, Almost right? twice as many games, exactly. Yeah, he's there. He is there, and it's been a great career so far for Chris Letang. Uh, Borky, another good aspect I thought of this game, you mentioned the fourth line, the struggles there. Not so with the third line. And I said it today on the show, I think that Derek Broussard's pissed off for greatness. He doesn't feel like the way that he ended last season was a fair representation of the way he can play the game. And he comes out, he looks angry to me. And I love the way that that line's put together. I loved how he played. I concur on all your points. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on with Derek last year. Coming from the Ottawa Senators, a team that plays different than anybody else in the league, that plays a conservative, passive, uh, passive-aggressive, if you will, style. Uh, and a lot of times you just kind of sit in the weeds and wait for the other team to make a mistake. And they were doing this 1-4 this that was absolutely ridiculous, or almost a 0-5 a um, neutral zone forecheck. It was just so bizarre. Anyway, so he comes to Pittsburgh, and, you know, I hate, I hate talking about this 
Adam, because I feel like I'm making excuses for him. But it, there's a fine line between an excuse and a reason. Sure. These are more reasons. That he went through two summers of wrist surgery, then shoulder surgery. And it wasn't just a scope. It was a major shoulder surgery. And it usually takes a while to come back from that. Sure. Then he ends up having an, uh, what I think was a groin injury. It was either groin or hamstring. We, I mean, listen, it's in the rearview mirror. We can talk about it now. Uh, and he couldn't really get there. He didn't have that explosiveness. He didn't have that first step. He didn't have that strength in his legs. And if you've ever suffered a groin injury, it's nagging. It's just one of those things where it, I'm good enough to play, but I'm not good enough to be Derek Broussard. Sure. So I think he worked his absolute tail off in the offseason. And you're right. It's a controlled, pissed off. And I like him like that. Uh, and listen, he's not going to score a lot of goals from, say, 30 feet out. He's one of those guys that gets a lot of his goals, like he did last night, where he's kind of scrappy dude. Sure. You know, where he's got a good stick, he's got quick hands, he's uh, deceptive, and he's got a nose for a net, and he knows how to put the biscuit in the basket. So, I, and, and the way that Dominic Simone played, and I'll tell you, I'm not sold on Dominic Simone yet, but the way he played last night, Hey, man, you keep playing like that. You're going to get the old 2-9-er with the black and gold pom-poms out for you. And, uh, yeah, that was a really good line. We know what the Rusty Razor can bring. Brian yes. Rust was dynamic. He was all over the ice. And uh, the speed, that he knows how to use his speed. Every, if he plays like that every single game, he'll have at least three opportunities to score. I mean, glorious opportunities to score. And there's no reason why. And he hasn't done this yet in his career. There's no reason why Brian Rust can't score 20 goals in this league if he's playing with Broussard and Simon. I think it's a great point, and to me, what I like about that line, in addition, Phil, is that they always seem to be on the right side of the puck, those guys. I, I think Simone's a smart player, and they'll tell you he's a smart player. Crosby raves about the guy. Yeah. They like him. They like him a lot, and it's kind of a sharp contrast, him and Sprong. Sprong's a guy you think has all the talent in the world, right? Dominic yeah. Simone. Maybe not quite as much no. as him, and they like Simone. Yeah. It seems a lot more than they like Sprong right now. Well, for Daniel Sprong, it, it, you know, I was on with Stan today, and we were talking about Spronger, and it, it, it's a unique piece of the puzzle. And if you're sitting there doing the puzzle, and you have this piece, and you're like, man, I know i got to get this one to fit. If I want all the other stuff, i got to get this one to snap into place. And you put it in, you put it in, and it just... And you're like, oh, here it goes right here. But you're like, no, that really, it doesn't belong right there. And you take it out again. And you're looking at it, look at And that's what Daniel Spawn yeah. is. He's this really nice piece of the puzzle that I don't know if he's going to fit. I don't know where he fits. And he's certainly not going to be in the top three, uh, three lines right now, top nine forwards, the way they're all chugging along, right? Everything seems fine. Chemistry, balance, whatever you want to call it, mojo. Uh, I think that, that that is what it is. So you got to put him on the fourth line. He's a right-hand shot. I think he plays better on the right side than the left side. And you want to have Matt Collin in there. You want to have Riley Shea in there. So welcome to the National Hockey League, Daniel Sprong. you got to find a way to be noticed, not be a liability, not be on the ice for goals against, and score goals. You're playing not your typical fourth line. You're playing with some pretty good hockey players in Cully and Shahan. So find a way to contribute and not be sat down in the third period where you play only two shifts because the coach doesn't trust you. And that's the reality of it. Let's cut right through all the fat, Adam, because he doesn't trust him yet. Otherwise, he would have thrown him out there, and you roll those four lines over, and you just grind down the Washington Capitals. Instead, Brian Russ went out in that fourth line because, yeah, I don't trust you yet, Daniel Strong. So it's to be continued. I think you still got to give him a little bit more ice time. He tries to get him out there, Sully does, on the second power play unit just to get his minutes up. But... 
I don't think anybody in this organization is 100% sold on Daniel Sprong because they don't know where he fits yet. That's a great point. I love the puzzle analogy because they scored seven goals last night, and Crosby's an inch away from putting another one in. Gensel's an inch away from putting another one in. Here's the last thing we're going to say on Sprong. Yeah. You mentioned seven goals. Daniel Sprong was the only forward to not have a shot on goal. What does he do best? Shoots the puck. Shoots the puck. Not good. No. Not separating yourself no. there, young and, man. And you're right. It's only one game. So let's not let's not go knee-jerk reaction and go get Derek Grant in there. You know, let's let's give – I think we got to find out what we got here. Because if we don't have anything, then I think you got to move him. But I think you need to, to go, whether it's five games, ten games, whatever that is in Sully's head, you got to find out what you have with Daniel Sprung. That's Phil Bork. I'm Adam Crowley. You're listening to Along the Boards here on ESPN. Pittsburgh are going to be joined by Sergio Mimosa. 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 I got alcohol on the, on the mind. You're such a boozer. Sergio Mimosa. What did I say? Mimosa. No, Mimosa. You're thinking of your Sunday morning a booze the fest before, before the Steelers game. Say it together. Let's say it together. Three, two, one. Sergio Mimosa. There we go. Yeah. So Adam Crowley, Phil Bork, it's along the boards right here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Back to Along the Boards on ESPN Pittsburgh. Welcome back to ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM, 106.3 FM. You're listening to Along the Boards. I'm Phil Bork here with my co-host Adam Crowley. We are at the Carson City Saloon. Stop by, have a Bud Light. It's on special here. Uh, and listen to some good old-fashioned hockey talk. At this time, we're going to bring in our special guest. He is a, a former NHLer, played over 700 games, uh, originally drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, is now the radio analyst for the Montreal Canadiens, the one, the only, Sergio Mameso. Sergio, how are you, buddy? Well, that's a nice introduction. Thanks, Phil. Good, all good, my friend? Good, good. Hey, before we talk about uh, your beloved Habs, Hey, you, we've talked a little bit about your past, about your history in the NHL, about you and I being over in Germany together. You were in Nuremberg, and I was looking for a job, and you were trying to help me out. But I want to take go back to June the 8th, 1983. That just happened to be my 21st birthday. But something <laughs> special happened to Sergio Momesso on that day. That was the 1983 NHL draft held in your hometown in Montreal. You're taken by your beloved Habs in the second round right after Claude Lemieux. What do you remember about that day, Sergio? Well, uh, I kind of knew I was, uh, you know, the reports was either I was going to go late first round or early second round, and uh, that's what ended up happening. Uh, 27th overall. Back then, there was 21 teams, if I... Yeah. If memory serves me right, so second round, uh, they had the two picks. Myself, Golden Year. I believe Patrick Waugh was drafted that uh, was it the same year or the year after. So they had a, had some good picks. Stefan Richier was there. Also, a lot of good young kids that came up at the same time and played a long time in the NHL. Uh, for me, um, it 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 was something that we all strive for is try to get uh, drafted and then you know get to the NHL. Obviously, for Montreal, it was at that time. Um, you know, wasn't sure how long it would take to make that club because they were so good oh, yeah. for so many years. But uh, they gave us a chance when we were 20 years old. They kind of needed some youth uh, to help the uh, the old guys uh, and uh, the middle the middle of the pack guys. And uh, we, we ended up having a really strong team and won in '86. So I 
it was uh, great memories, no question about it. What do you remember about that day when you actually got picked? Because I, I, I ask all these questions, Sergio, because I was never drafted. And so you know, the thing yeah. is, is any, any young kid growing up, you, the thing embracing it with your family. I don't know if your family was all there, what that moment was like, the buildup of a, a kid from Quebec by the hometown Montreal Canadiens. Can you kind of take us into that moment? Well, you know, back in those days, I think the draft was pretty much always Montreal, Toronto, maybe New York, and, right. and now they're going everywhere, right? And then the first round is on TV the night, the night before, so it's, a, it's really become a really big show. And uh, But being, being in Montreal, of course, uh, my family immigrated from Italy uh, in the 50s, so my dad really didn't know much about hockey, but definitely proud of his son. We do have a sports bar in Montreal called Bomessos, and so that's um, something that we we ended up going there after the draft, um, you know, with the sweater and everything, and all family and friends at the uh, at the restaurant and the bar. So uh, we we had a pretty good uh, day and a pretty good night after that. So yeah, very very proud moments oh, that's for my story. family and friends for sure of being uh, being there in the hometown. That's a great story, man. Let's talk about your Habs and and what's going yeah. on because it's been a little bit of a soap opera up there. Uh, yeah. But uh, people are wondering, you know, this is a story franchise, man. This is uh, this is a valuable franchise. This is a, a, a team with unlimited resources to uh, have a incredible hockey team. But it, it hasn't happened for a couple of years. Do you can you kind of put your finger on why things have got this way where they are right now? And do you see hope? Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? And it's not a train coming the other way. Yeah. Well, um, I tell you. It's it's been tough, you no know, question. Last year was horrendous. Scary Price had a bad year. Uh, there was so much talk about uh, players that uh, were kind of against each other inside the dressing room, um, you know. And they they addressed a lot of things at the end of the season. They said there was a problem with the attitude. Um, so here we go. We we get into the summer and we see well what's going to happen in the draft. They ended up picking. Because uh, they finished so late, they end up picking uh, third, and they end up picking a center. Because this is something that has been really hurting the team. They weren't strong at center. They went to get Jonathan Joy last year, and uh, he's really more comfortable on the wing. And so that was something that they didn't address. They traded a good young defenseman to get Joy in uh, Sergeyev, and so fans were were not happy. And uh, finally, I think this summer. You know, the, the, the saga of Max Pacioretty just became one thing after another. They finally traded him. They got Qatar, and they got uh, a first-round pick, a former first-round pick from the uh, from the Golden Knights, which is a kid called Nick Suzuki, gets a lot of points. He's a center going back to junior this year. So they, they're going towards the future. They know that they have to take care of the center position. The kid that they drafted third overall, Kokinyemi, he ends up making the team. He's playing center, and Jonathan Joanne's playing <laughs> playing the left side. Nice. So, you know, you look at that, and you figure, okay, now we got a kid, but he's still only 18 years old. You'll see him tomorrow. He's got good skill, and, um, you know, he sees the game well. He had a really good camp, and he doesn't look out of place. He even had a pretty good game in Toronto. Ended up trading Galchenyuk for Max Domi. So there's another guy that's playing at center. Right. So Max Domi comes over from Arizona. And he's playing on the line with Byron and Lekkinen. And it's kind of like a worker's line. And the new identity this year, Phil, to make that all, all these things that have happened, there's been so much that the way they played the other night, their first game in Toronto, they had 36 shots. They outplayed the Leafs, but 
they couldn't score more than two goals. And I think that's going to be a lot of their story still this year. They're still missing Shea Weber, which is a huge piece to their team. He's injured and he's not. He's been named the captain now uh, since Pacioretty's gone. So um, he won't be ready till till December. So there's still a little bit, you know, some work on defense. But they realized that on defense last year they had so many um, problems on the left side that they were slow. And um, Alzer didn't play the first game. Schlemko was hurt. And the uh, only one that played was uh, Jordy Ben, And they got Mike Riley playing on defense, the young kid, 20-year-old Victor Mete, and another guy, Xavier Wallet, who's 25, I believe, playing on the left side. So they changed their whole left side, pretty much, and added two centers up front. They're a young team. They're, they're much quicker up front, and they're a little quicker on the left side because they know that they – a lot of games that were slow last year, and and for what it's worth, Gary Price had a really deep game in the in the first game in Toronto. So it's a team that's got to work hard. They have four lines that look dissimilar, and there'll be a lot of nights where they they'll, they'll struggle to score to more than two goals, but they got to work hard to stay in the game. Sergio Adam Crowley here, uh, Shea Weber. You brought him up in your previous answer. I know they miss him from a playing standpoint, obviously, and you say he's named the captain. It's a young team, so how much do they just miss having that general out there on the ice to be able to settle things down? No, they miss him a ton. I mean, they traded P.K. Subin for him, and, and you know, he plays so many minutes. He, um, he doesn't just score on the power play with his incredible shot. When he's in front of the net, he knocks guys out of the way, and he's out there on the penalty kill, too. So, And they were one of the worst teams on the penalty kill last year also. So, you know... It, it just seems this is the new direction. Phil was asking me, where's this team going? Well, the area of uh, Max Pacioretty as captain well, didn't work out. Um, he couldn't take a lot of that heat. And I guess in Montreal, it's very tough to be captain. You have to answer questions every day. Shea's a veteran. He was captain before Nashville. And this is going to be more, uh, I guess, the reflection now of the future. That's, that's him. Talk about all the guys that are here now. Domi, Kokinyemi. Uh, Armia came over from Winnipeg, another a thin player, but pretty nifty player. And, uh, and the young kids that are playing on defense, they're definitely Miss Shea uh, in the dress room. And they, Gallagher and Byron are the two hardest working guys on that team, and they're the two assistant captains all, also now. So it's, it, it's really a, you know, we could talk for a long time. There was a lot of stuff done in the summer after that disaster. They fired the whole staff. Oh. In, in the American Hockey League, in Laval, oh. the Laval Rockets. Now, uh, Joel Bouchard is, is taking over as, as, uh, as the head coach there. They said that they're having problems. Development guys that they've drafted before never got to the NHL. So between the drafting and the development, they fired a bunch of scouts. So, I mean, there was a major revamp this summer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, things are going to take some time, but um, that's the direction they're going, my friend. Where does Mark Bergeron, former Penguin, good time, uh, big time friend with Mario Lemieux, grew up with Mario yep. playing uh, youth hockey. I know he, he has a very good relationship with ownership, with the Molsons. And I know he just signed an extension. But where do you think he's – I don't, I don't want to put you on the stock, uh, spot, Sergio, because I know you work for no, the no, hockey No, no, it's good, it's good. But, but, but where do you think he sits right now? Because 
because things are unraveled and a lot of people have questioned some of the moves that he's made and what he's got back for some key pieces. I knew, I knew everybody knew that, that Gelchenyuk was probably better off somewhere else. Pacioretty probably better off somewhere else. But but how long of a, a leash does he have? How long will they keep Mar Ber Mark Bergeron around? And will he stay longer than we expect because of his relationship with Jeff Molson? Well, this is this is it. There was a lot of people in Montreal that wanted Mark fired, to be honest. After the season, they had a press conference, and Jeff Molson sat right beside him. And he said, we're going to change the philosophy. We're going to change the team going into the summer. So people said, okay, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll wait and see. They know that it, it was a disaster to the last year or two, especially last year. And Jeff Molson took a lot of heat, too. A lot of the a lot of people that I know that are season ticket holders that, that go to the lodges and in the boxes, they, they, they weren't happy at all. And, and they let Jeff know. They really did. And um, I, together they sat there. They took the heat. And they both said that we're going to make changes. And they did. They made the moves. They, they're saying this is going to be our new look team. We're going to be younger and we're going to be faster. And we're going to get centermen. We know that we need to fill that position. Is it going to happen this year? No, that's very doubtful. But, you know, just just watching from training camp to now, I just noticed a, a different feeling. There's, they're, they're, the coaching staff is breathing a little bit easier. They kind of feel like, okay, the pressure's not there. The fans in Montreal, the people in Montreal, I think they realize, hey, don't, don't BS us. Don't say that we're going to do this and do that. But if you tell us, hey, it's going to take a couple years, but we got these young kids. Right. But they're, if they don't get developed in Laval and they're playing up here, then play the kids. Play the kids, lose four to three, but lose with the kids. Let them learn and let them get better. And I think, you know, that's, that's their philosophy. They went with it. They, they were much better in training camp this year, much more competitive. I think they were five and three in eight games. I know those games don't mean much, but it's just the way that they were playing. And there's a whole different sense of attitude around the, around the dressing room and around the team when we fly and, and optimism, I would say. And I guess that uh, all the new guys that they brought in, and the kids that are playing, um, they're, 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 they're hungry. They're younger. They're quick. Uh, they're not going to score a lot of goals like we saw last night. But uh, this is their new way of uh, their new team. And, and the fans will be okay with it as long as they get entertaining hockey in Montreal, which they did not see last year. Sergio, is the faith in Carey Price still unwavering? Well, it not not... You know, there was a lot of stuff going on last year, and he was a key part of it, too. And um, off the ice, uh, you know, there was rumors going on. Uh, what's wrong with him? Is there something going on off the ice? And, you know, so mentally, he wasn't sharp. There, there was no question. And uh, for, wh for what I saw in training camp, but really what I saw in Toronto, he made three spectacular saves, um, you know, to keep them in the game. And that's what he's got to do with this team, I guess, and also... Uh, a young left side, I guess, now that they want to get youth that could skate and move the puck up quickly um, and, and change the, the style of game that, that, that they had last year. They were stuck in their end. They could never get out last year a lot of nights because they weren't quick enough. And then, so those changes have been made. But, yeah, Carey, I mean, it wasn't like so, like he could do no wrong. It was starting to say, hey, he's making a lot of money, especially starting this year. He's got to show up with the goods. And he's one of the top players. Well, he's got to be a leader, too, on and off the ice. And, and you know, so, yes, they, they, they give him a leash, but uh, it was a little shorter. And people want to see him play the way he did uh, a few years back, that's for sure. 
Sergio is a longtime NHLer and now a broadcaster. I know that the Berg, Pittsburgh is one of your favorite towns. So we'll let you yep. go enjoy the Friday night nightlife in Pittsburgh. Uh, always appreciate you. Always take time to come on our show whenever the halves yep. roll in. Uh, really appreciate your commentary and your friendship, man. Thanks for doing this. Well, you got it, Phil. Anytime, man. Yes, uh, enjoying the nice weather in Pittsburgh tonight. That's for sure. I'll be outside somewhere. Okay, see you yeah, at the rink tomorrow. Man. Thanks, Sergio. See you, buddy. Sergio Momesso from the Montreal Canadiens. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Man. Candid. Yeah. Without a doubt. And yeah. transparency, I always say he's number one virtue to Crowley show. I wanted to ask him about Bergevin, but I didn't know how he'd take it. No, so no. It comes better coming from you, maybe. No, you know, and that's the thing. It's that's that's the tightrope you walk as an analyst, especially when you work for the hockey club. That you know, and he was he was very tastefully said that hey, this is the way it is. You know that listen, there's a friendship there. The fans know about the friendship between the owner and the general manager. But listen, when things start going south in Montreal, <laughs> maybe the most dramatic, passionate fans in the whole league. I mean, there it's crazy town up there when they're winning and they're losing. Um, and I'm sure when when you lose in Montreal, you get your groceries delivered. You don't go to the grocery store and get and, and get your food. You have somebody deliver it because you don't go outside your house. And that's the way it is. So, listen, I want I want to see Montreal get better. They need to get better. The league needs them to get better. But it's not going to start tomorrow night against our Pittsburgh Penguins. Sorry. No, yeah, certainly not. Uh, he's Phil Bork. I'm Adam Crowley. You're listening to Along the Boards live from the Carson City Saloon. Come on by. Have some Bud Lights there on special. Coming up next, we've talked about some of the things to like from the Penguins' first game of the season. How about some things they need to improve upon? And we'll take a look again ahead to the Montreal Canadiens. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. Back to Along the Boards on ESPN Pittsburgh. Live at the Carson City Saloon, it's Adam Crowley and Phil Bork, the old 2-9er hockey talk back because the Penguins are back 7-6 victory over the Washington Capitals last night and Washington had just given it to Boston the night before it's second of back-to-backs that's not easy especially the two teams that they'd be playing and they have to do it without Tom Wilson who has 18 games to go now on his suspension and how about 1.2 million dollars lost Phil wow Uh, I know he's appealing I just uh, filed for uh, to appeal it Oh, man, where do I start with this guy? Let me start with this first. If he does it again, Adam, what's the number now? Because I have a feeling he's going to do it again. Because he's kind of in that Rafi Torres, Matt Cook area right now where you're pretty close to washing your hands with this guy as a National Hockey League. And suspending him for, it's got to be double. I think uh, to the point now where everything gets doubled, right? So you go from 20 to 40. 40 to 80 and then after 80 i we've never had that we've never had that before where a player has been banned for life but tom wilson's going down the slippery slope where i don't know if he can control himself and 1.2 million is a lot of bananas that he's never going to get back again and i do find it ironic that this happens this this dropping of the hammer 20 games which to answer your question I think was the right number. It was the number I was hoping for. I didn't think we were going to get it. I thought it was going to be closer to 10. 10, maybe 12. And I would have been disappointed. But I would have been like, well, they disappointed me. They've broken my heart before the NHL. When I think 
this is the time. Beginning of the season, this act in the preseason by Tom Wilson, you got to drop the hammer. And they did. They got a lot of people's attention because it was more than what people thought. And it's ironic. This is the first year of his contract that kicks in. Here's the thing. He's making $5 million this year or 6 He's making six. He got six. five in a signing bonus. Right. So he's only making a million in salary. So he actually has to go back to his investment guy and say, uh, you know that $5 million check that I got for a signing bonus on July 1? Eh, we might have to liquidate just a little bit because I got to cut a check uh, for 1.26. So, yeah, so he's basically pay- playing for free this year. Salary wise, because the salary is only a million, right? Right now, he's got to go back and he's got to dip into that signing bonus to help pay the rest of the uh, of the fine. He better get the message then, right? Because this isn't like the NFL where you're getting hit for five, ten grand a pop, right? I mean, this is one point two million dollars when you're making a total of six. I yeah. mean, that kills you. Yeah, it absolutely kills you. So, right. if you were correct in saying that he's the kind of guy who doesn't get it, yeah. he's not gonna get it. Yep. If this doesn't teach him nothing's going to and this is the reason why i don't think he's going to get it is because Devonte smith pelly his teammate comes out and says it's garbage. garbage this is garbage the league showed us video that hits like this are legal my my message to you or my response to you Devonte, is what if nicholas backstrom was cutting through the middle of the ice and somebody lit him up like that like a christmas tree and his nose is touching his ear and he has a cut that looks like a half moon underneath his eye. Is it then garbage too, Devontae? No. You're screaming bloody murder. And you want the guy to have 40 games, 80 games. So I feel like the Washington Capitals have gone from confident to a little bit arrogant cocky of this is garbage. And their coach coming out, who's actually a good friend of mine, Todd Reardon, coming out saying, uh, you know, this was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then I know what Tom Wilson's always going to say. Oh well, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't try to hurt anybody. I'm not that kind of player. My uh, teammates really respect me, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to play hard. Listen, we've heard all of your garbage before. Enough of the rhetoric. And maybe it. Maybe this will be it. I hope this is it because, at the end of the day, we're all going to agree he can play the game. Yes, he can. He can be a very effective player. But when you're trying to end people's career slash end their life, and be a predatory assassin there's no place in the game of hockey i love that hockey is physical violent belligerent i love that and i like look me in the eye i'll look you in the eye let's drop the mittens and have a good old-fashioned like the 1912s put them up put them up put them up and we'll, we'll have our dukes and we'll drop it and we'll police the game amongst ourselves Okay, but if you're going to blindside me and come from downtown Chicago when we're playing in Washington, D.C., and you want to hit me in the head, then there's no place in the game for players like that anymore. There was a Washington radio guy that I got into it last year because he was defending Tom Wilson whenever Zach Aston Reese's jaw gets broken. And he, just the other day, after the fight between Lars Zeller and Brad Marchand goes down. He says that would never happen with 43 on the ice. Marchand's much worse than Tom Wilson is, this, that, the other. And the only way you can defend a guy like Tom Wilson is say, look over here. That's right. Don't look here. Right. Yeah, don't look at Tom. Look, Go look over at Brad Marchand. Oh, he's worse. He's worse. Don't, don't look at Tom. Look over there. Right. As if, and the other point that was made was, 
Well, Lars Eller didn't even want to fight, so what a chicken bleep move. So why was he throwing punches? Well, right, exactly. And the other thing is, you don't think it's a chicken bleep move when Tom Wilson comes across the middle and cuts a guy off? I mean, you you want to talk about tough guy? That ain't tough guy. Uh, Tough guy is squaring up and saying, all right, brother, like you just said, let's go. I almost wish we were doing this show on TV. And I wish I could kind of put a package together. I'll show you all of Tom Wilson's hit. They're all the same, except the Zach Aston Reese one. But there were some similarities there to a lot of his hits because he leaves his feet. He leaves his feet and he targets yeah. the head. But I'm telling you right now, 90 to 95% of his hits, big travel, travel taken, and I'm talking 8, 10, 12 strides, which number one is charging. Everything is blindside. Nothing is in the chest. Nothing is shoulder to shoulder. Nothing is looking a guy in the eye and then drilling him with a good hit. Crack his sternum. Crack his ribs. Separate his shoulder. Great hit, Tom. I think it's one. I I applaud hits like that. But none of his hits are like that. They're all predatory. And also, he clips the head. So by clipping the head, Adam, you don't feel it. If I go full contact and we collide like a couple of couple of a car is hitting on the parkway, then both people feel it. But when you throw checks the way Tom Wilson does with the elbow or with the shoulder pads that they wear now, you don't even feel it. It's barely a mosquito bite, but you do so much damage by that flyby, clip the head, just rake his, his neck, and just try to end his career. That is Tom Wilson in a nutshell. That's well said. And it's something that needed to be said, and good job, finally, by the Department of Player Safety cracking yeah. down. Here, here. And I will say finally, because it was four times within 103 games yeah. that Tom Wilson was suspended. Yeah. I think it maybe could have been a little bit unprecedented more. Unprecedented also, the league came out when they handed down the 20 games. Said, this is unprecedented. We've had some dum-dums in the league, but we haven't had anybody as dumb as Tom Wilson <laughs> to be suspended four times in 103 games. And by the way, he didn't get suspended for the hit on Brian Dumoulin in the playoffs no. last year. He didn't get suspended for the hit on um, Alex Wenberg in the series before he played the Penguins when it was the same kind of flyby, 20 strides, 80 feet traveled when he went right for the head of Alexander Wenberg, that he got a little a little bit of a pee-pee whack, a little slap on the wrist, a little talking to with no, no fine, no suspension, and he doesn't care. It's like, oh, I got away with that one, and bam, he is going to hit when when he feels that somebody is vulnerable, somebody's looking the other way, that he is going to, again, not go for the body, not go for the shoulder, but pick the head. And that's where everybody has a problem. Yep, principal point of contact, the head, and that's going to get you every time, or at least it should get you every time. He also, I think it was Connor Sherry, took his knee out too. By the way, forgot about that. Just throw that one in there too. We can play that game the rest of the show. We don't have to because video will do that for you. Just Google it. Go to YouTube.com. Phil Bork, Adam Crowley, wrapping things up here from the Carson City Saloon for along the boards. Uh, Phil, Penguins put up seven goals. Mike Sullivan, critical of the defensive play. Sidney Crosby said after the game, better work on that stuff when you've won. What do they got to tighten up? Puck management. Turnovers, number one. Number two, be a little more di- diligent. When Listen, other teams are good. They're going to get to their forecheck. They're going to get to the cycle. They're going to hang on to pucks when you're in your defensive zone. Start moving your feet. Start getting your head on the swivel. Let's get a little more jump in our step and attacking. Attacking stick first and let's getting players out in the perimeter and stripping pucks, winning puck battles. 
it's it's an easy fix. That's a good thing right now. It's an easy fix. But some of the things that we saw last night, Adam, were things that have bled over from last year. You know, there was a there was a bad pinch by a defenseman where he didn't have the the forward there to support him. That happened a lot last year. So again, these are things you could show on video, which they went over today, easily correctable, but. Everybody's got to buy in. Everybody has to realize we can still generate tons of offense off of great defensive play, but you got to play strong defense first, and then all the skill will take over offensively. I think Washington's a good example of what they did in the playoffs. Exactly. They smack you right back with the counterattack. They let you make the mistake. Exactly right. But you're not sitting on your heels. You're not just being this, this passive team. You're being aggressive at the same time, but you're being a lot more cerebral and the way that you are aggressive. That was fun. The hour goes quick. It what? does. Are you... That's it. No way. Montreal coming up. Okay. Well, that's going to be fun. Montreal, see Max Domi. Uh, you know, he's an exciting player. player. And I'll tell you what, you heard Sergio. They gave Toronto all they could handle on their home opener, and the Penguins better not take these Montreal Canadiens lightly. You got them now, and then you got them next Saturday at the uh, Bell Center in Montreal with the Blanc, Rouge, and Bleu. It's going to feel like forever after Saturday, though, because they don't play till Thursday yeah. again. It's like we just get hockey back, and they and take it away. And then we got away. the flower coming in next Thursday. So giddy up. we got some good hockey coming your way. Yes, sir. That's Phil Bork. I'm Adam Crowley. Thanks to Alex here on site. And, of course, Tom back in the studio and the Carson City Saloon. I've been here for four hours. Uh, it hasn't felt like it, though, because I've been having fun. So thanks to them. Uh, you'll be doing it again in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll be doing my show on Monday, Penguins and Montreal, right here on ESPN Pittsburgh, coming up tomorrow.